Stephen Crane, in his famous novel about the Civil War, The Red Badge of Courage, he wrote, It was not well to drive men into final corners. At those moments, they could all develop teeth and claws. Well, it may not have been well, but we are getting pushed uh, into those corners nonetheless in this nation. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are so thankful that you guys are joining us today. And as always, you know, this show, what we try to do is just, you know, help the listener walk a Christian life, a life that's pleasing to God in this um, religionless and secular world that we find ourselves in. So that is our hope here today. And in today's show, we were going to discuss new atheism. That didn't make the docket, though. Um, We may be pushing that off till next week, unless the world explodes again, then we'll push it back further. Um, I guess to make a long story short, new atheism, it's just like the old atheism. But we'll talk about it anyways. Um, So yeah, that's what we were going to discuss until basically the eighth, which was Monday, I think, um, when, you know, as Stephen Crane wrote, Half the country felt like they'd been driven into the final corners. Um, So that's Donald Trump in the raid of his home in Florida. It's kind of what happened on Monday. But we're also going to discuss, you know, just more some lighthearted stories from the world of sports. Um, Oh boy, my favorite. Well, I think there's some significant (laughs) stories, but also some culturally significant stories. So I don't want this to all just be a drag about politics and disgusting garbage. So. We'll talk about some sports just a little bit, but before we get to all of that, is there anything you'd like to say? Oh, we had a really nice visit with our cousins, old Spencer's cousin and his wife and their three kids. And it's just so nice to reconnect with family, you know, because being military, we move around the country a lot and we don't always have uh, the time and uh, to go back home and visit everybody, but they came here, so that was nice. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it was a really good visit with them, and just makes you realize how much you appreciate family. Uh, you don't see them often, and when you do, you're just wow. But you can pick up where you left off, like you and Paul were just talking away, <laughs> yeah, reminiscing, no, and it worked out well. We thought we'd only get to see him once while they were down here. Wound up seeing him like three or four times, yeah. um, which was really good. He did his best that he could to recruit us back to Michigan. Um, <laughs> so we'll see if that actually plays out in the long run. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to you it know, either. We, we're fall and winter people here. Yes. So we'll see how that goes, uh, what God has in store for us. But yeah, just praise report for that. It was good to see him. Um, yeah. So pray for their years. safe travels back home. Yes. Please pray for them. And um, then. As far as prayer requests, again, I continue to ask for you guys to pray over the vaccine mandate stuff. And there has been good news on that front. You know, on the national level, I think the CDC has just sort of revised their COVID policy, which for some reason still exists in this country. Um, And they basically come to the realization that most normal Americans came to about a year and a half ago. That like, it's just not that serious um, for most of us. Mm -hmm. But 
the hope is, and I did have a meeting with my commander, nothing formal, but you know, some of the talks that we had, you know, at least had me thinking maybe, you know, with this preliminary injunction that's uh, in place and these new CDC guidelines, maybe the air force leadership is starting to, um, I guess, wake up to the fact of allowing religious service members to serve without violating their conscience. So please, if you've been praying, continue to pray. And if you haven't yet prayed, please pray for us, <laughs> pray for you, pray for everybody. So, um, yeah, that's really all we have as far as praise reports and prayer requests today. And before we get into our news topics, I do want to make sure we get our cardinal solutions or cardinal contingency solutions plug in here. Um, I make the case every week and I'm not going to be deterred from it. You need to be um, trained up in how to deal with exploiters, messaging, how to stay on message, how to, you know, deal with counter messaging, all these sorts of things. It's a valuable, valuable skill in today's world. Um, please consider reaching out to Cardinal Contingency Solutions. They are the right people to get you trained up um, so that you're not going into this world blind and just being taken advantage of. And then, as always, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. We'll have links down in the show notes. You can go find them, as always. And just going on the website, you know, you can go in there and check out just what the latest episodes are. So you can see up here, you know, our daily devotional is up on there. You can find that. Um, and then just, just whatever episodes have been uploaded. And as you can see from a whole host of different podcasts, and that's just a great place to find good godly men and women talking about godly things. And I'm sure they would appreciate you paying them a visit. I'm certain that you would enjoy it. So, um, all right. We definitely need the intro music this week. So prepare yourself. Gird your loins. It's that time of the week. We take our trek through the valley of the shadow of death. Take a look at the news of the week. And uh, before we get into the full valley of death, um, I did want to just point out just some big news from the world of sports. So as I mentioned, we have a couple of sporting stories today. And the first one is Serena Williams is announcing her retirement after the 2022 U.S. Open. Do you want to read that first paragraph, honey? Serena Williams, sure. one of the greatest athletes of all time, announced on Tuesday that she will retire from tennis following the 2022 U.S. Open at the end of August. Hmm. Yep. So certainly, you know, one of the greatest, you know, professional athletes of all time, certainly the greatest women's tennis player of all time, you know, and you could probably make the argument pretty easily. I'd imagine she's the greatest women's athlete of all time. Um, interesting or interestingly, she's a Saginaw, Michigan um, native, which we're Michiganders ourselves. So I don't know why that matters, but, you know, I've been to Saginaw, <laughs> I guess. So it's worth something. Um, in the last two years or so, maybe they came out with that supposedly really good movie called King Richard. Um, that was about her father, supposedly quite inspiring. It was, uh, did you watch it? No, but interestingly, oh. that is the movie 
that won Will Smith, the like actor of the year award that he received on the same night that he smacked Chris Rock at the Oscars. Oh. So, um, yeah, right. that was pre slap Will Smith um, when he was King Richard. So um, also right. retiring at the end of the season, worth noting is Albert Pujols. So that's a big story from the world of sports, if you're interested in sports. So I wanted to ask you, honey, do you know anything about Serena Williams or more specifically, Albert Pujols? I have never heard of Albert Pujols. What? Pujols. Nope. Do you don't know anything about Serena Williams? Nothing personal. You know, she has a sister who's a professional tennis player named Venus Williams. Yes. Um, which is all. funny, you know, they've been in the pro tennis players for almost 20 years now, something like that. And I feel like when they first burst on the scene, Venus was like taking the tennis world by storm. And then that was very short lived before Serena came on the scene <laughs> and started dominating. And, um, Albert Pujols, for those of you, he's a professional baseball player. In fact, I believe he's going to retire as most likely number five on the all-time home run um, hitting list. So he sort of lost a lot. He was a very popular player. And then he was a St. Louis Cardinal. Very popular. He was one of the best home run hitters in the league for a lot of years. And then he took a huge payday and went to the Los Angeles Angels when they were not very good. And it seemed that his fame sort of just fell off a cliff. And he was still apparently hitting home runs, but just not to the same level. Hmm. But he is retiring now. So two all-time greats are bowing out. Okay, so I don't know anything about Serena. Is Where's Venus? So this is what I, I even wrote this note down in my, uh, or wrote this down in my notes. <laughs> this is what I love about Nikki. We had these in the notes, Serena Williams and Albert Pujols. She knew nothing about either of them and didn't even care enough to look anything up. Like, Serena, don't care. Elver Pujols, not interested. Well, I just thought of asking a question. That's fine. I mean, you don't have to know. I mean, there's no reason to know if you don't like sports. Other than, you know, we may never see another woman athlete of Serena Williams caliber again. The odds that you see that in your lifetime are probably slim. Now, we'll see another Albert Pujols, and he wasn't even the best at what he did. But um, the reason I like to bring these sports stories up is this is one of my great disappointments about the current state of the country that we live in. You know, I love sports. I've talked about this a lot of times on here. I always have. I love to play sports. I love to watch sports. I even like to listen to sports you know podcast and i study sports you know it's actually something my kids and nikki laugh at me about you know the amount of information that for whatever reason my brain can just retain on sports any fact it doesn't make anything. any sense and it's not worth anything and yet it's all up there you know but if you ask me like well what verse was that in the bible i'm like i don't know, i have no idea i know it's in there but if you're like well what school did uh you know whatever player go to and you're like oh i went to central florida in 2000 like makes no sense right i don't know why your brain but i love sports um even you know fantasy football is getting ready to kick off the nfl is about to start i'm very much into that stuff so it upsets me greatly you know to watch the sports world just be ravaged and ultimately succumb 
to this sort of destructive woke ideology. It drives me nuts. I care because it affects you. It does affect me. That's me and my cousin. When you're down here, we talked mostly about sports. I mean, that's what we grew up doing together, playing sports video games, playing basketball and watching football, all sorts of things. So, you know, but it just drives me nuts because the people, you know, that the sports world is sort of bending the knee to um, and kind of building their businesses around their business models around are all the people that don't even care about sports. That's what's so frustrating about it. They only really care about like Marxism and social destruction. Yep. So anything that's just traditionally American, you know, like merit based, capitalistic, you know, somehow has to be destroyed. And for so long, that was sports, you know, that's what it epitomized. So to see it, you know, being destroyed like this is really frustrating because, you know, 49% of the time I'm like, screw it, never watching it again. I can't take mm-hmm. these entitled rich athletes. But then the other 51, you're like, I actually really enjoy watching it when I don't hear anything they have to say. So, um, you know, I'm torn on that. I told you guys before I actually sat down this year and watched the NBA finals for the first time with my boys. You know, they're 14 years old. It's the first time that we watched all, I think it was like five or six games. It was great. Loved it. You know, keep the volume down. Talking about basketball with my sons. It was a great time. So just gets at me. Um, And then just one last story here to highlight from the sporting world. Um, This is more in the realm of social destruction. And this comes from OutKick. Do you want to read this headline, honey? Oklahoma football coach resigns after using a shameful and hurtful word. Mm, Yep. Shameful and hurtful word. So this was a Oklahoma Sooners football coach that goes by the name of Kale Gundy. Um, apparently he's been on the Oklahoma football coaching staff for a lot of years, 20 years or so. And the story goes that during like a film session, one of his players wasn't paying attention. He went back there and grabbed his iPad. Something was written on it. So he just read it, what was written on there. And apparently there was a racial slur on there. We don't know what slur, uh, we can all make a guess. And because of that, he decided um, he needed to basically self-resign. So Hmm. for two things that I find very upsetting about this story, first off, he probably should have resigned, right? If you're that sort of weak-willed and that sort of, I don't know, influenced by the culture that you just are shook into your core because you said a word you think you shouldn't have said, Well, then you're probably not the right man to lead men. That would make sense. But on the other side of the coin, you'd go, well, he's probably smart enough to know his life was over if this ever got out anyways. So at least take the high road. And I think that's the shameful part of this. It's like he punished himself. Like he did what he thought they would want. And what's terrible is, you know, a lot of the players came out and they were like, oh, we didn't want him to resign. We love coach Gundy. And that might be true, but you just don't know, right? Because if you're Oklahoma, that tide could turn at any time. And these Oklahoma players could go, well, you know, now that I have more time to think about it, you know, it was super offensive. And, you know, so it's like, you just got to take it on the chin right away, resign in shame, a 20, 30 year coaching career flushed down the drain, all because some other kid 
some 20 year old kid wrote something he shouldn't have wrote and you were reading it. Um, but then even, you know, his head coach piles on, you know, says some things about Kale Gundy and it's all just shameful. It's just a bunch of cowards bending their will to, you know, these woke mobs that are somehow in control of all their purse strings. Cause the Oklahoma football coach, Brent Venables, you know, he's probably got a five to $7 million a year contract. Do anything to keep that right. Even, you know, throw a, a longtime friend under the bus, you know, bend, bend over backwards to appease 20 year old kids that have no life experience, don't understand anything. You know, you're supposed to be leading and guiding them as men. That's part of a coach's used to be part of a coach's job. And now you're just like, well, you know, whatever the 20 year old kid thinks is right. We'll probably just have to do that because if he doesn't, you know, then what's going to happen? I'm going to get fired. Like, I don't know. What is he teaching them by just resigning over something they know? He's teaching them that they have the power. That's the shameful thing. Instead of teaching them what that, you know, because the point I'm assuming what he was trying to do was maybe embarrass the kid. Hey man, what are you, what are you looking at here? Right? Like let's, have the whole class share it, right? I mean, they used to do that to us in school. Hmm. You'd pass a little note and the teacher would catch you and be like, read that note out loud. And you're like, oh man, uh, you do not want to know what's on this note. It must have been pretty bad. They didn't say what it said. Yeah, I mean. For him to resign, it makes you wonder. Right, I'm sure it's bad. And now you might say, you got to be smart enough know you, to know you can't say that. I mean, I would disagree and say, why can't we say it? If they're writing it, everyone else is saying it then apparently it's not that big of a deal. But we all know certain slurs are that big of a deal when certain people use it, not when others use it. Who knows? The unwritten rules, right? Mm -hmm. But just a shameful story how, you know, person's life can sort of be ruined just over a benign incident mm -hmm. one day in a film session. And uh, all because you know the woke mob is just going to come for you. And that's shameful. So those are our sporting stories. You know, I love sports. I'm interested in sports. I just want to see men take charge again, not, you know, bend over backwards to people who don't even care about their sport anyways. Um, because these young men, they need strong coaches that teach them life lessons. Yeah. Coaches need to be more than just how to run a post route on a football field. You know, uh, I was listening to Fearless and they had a, a guy who played for the New England Patriots on there. And he talked about how Bill Belichick, you know, greatest football coach in NFL history, he would, um, during some of his uh, like coaching sessions with the rookies, he would quiz them on, um, oh, what was it? I just lost thought, but it was like some benign sort of civics lesson. And he would just ask him questions about these benign civics lessons because he wanted to make sure his players were informed adults mm. has nothing to do with football. And he's a professional coach. He's not even a college coach. So these college coaches on a whole nother level need to be grooming men to go out into the world in this workplace, because not all of them are going to be professional football players. Mm -hmm. So it's just shameful. Um, but not nearly as shameful as what we're about to get into. We're talking politics. And anytime you talk politics, it's always shameful. It's seedy, disgusting, and shameful. 
Um, but yeah, this was really the only big story from the week. And um, as we sort of mentioned earlier, it's kind of the FBI raid that took place on Monday. So do you want to read this headline, honey? Uh, let me pull it up here real quick. New details leak about FBI's shock raid on Mar-a-Lago and GOP leader fires back at A.G. Garland. Preserve your documents and clear your calendar. Yep. And then you want to just read these three paragraphs? Yep. Um, the FBI's raid on Mar-a-Lago was reportedly Part of an investigation into former President Donald Trump removing classified documents from the White House and storing them in his South Florida resort. FBI agents began the raid early Monday morning around 9 a.m. and searched the property until 6.30 p.m., according to News Nation reporter Brian Enton, who cited his sources. The agents arrived in plain clothes, thus appearing to be Secret Service agents and only notified the Secret Service about the raid right before it began. That is why it didn't leak earlier, Enton explained. Yep. So, um, as they said in there, the purpose of the raid was to um, retrieve classified documents that Donald Trump allegedly removed from the White House. Um, and the New York Times in this article, I think, pull it up. Do you want to read what the Times said, honey? Mr. Trump delayed returning 15 boxes of material requested by officials with the National Archives for many months, only doing so when there became a threat of action to retrieve them. The case was referred to the Justice Department by the archives early this year. Yep. Um, so are they saying he did? Um, return boxes. Yeah. So as the story goes, if you read into this a little more, you know, there were certain boxes, you know, that at least 15 that President Trump apparently took with him when he left the White House and they had requested some of them back. He was slow in returning them, but it sounds like he did return those boxes. So what they're thinking of is that he has additional boxes of classified information that he never oh, returned. Okay. I guess so, I didn't catch that before. I was like, yeah, it's a bit he unclear. did return them. Then why were they rating? Okay. Right. Cause I read that the same way. And I was like, so you had like a late fee at the, the presidential <laughs> library and you said, <laughs> but no, so they're assuming that he had more documents. Um, and we have since learned, hmm. you know, from when this initial story came out, um, that, I think what they were saying they were looking for, at least in some respects, is that some of this classified material had like nuclear uh, nuclear codes or something to do with our nuclear arsenal of some sort. So, you know, who knows if that's true. Um, okay. So he was never supposed to take anything out of the White House like that. They're saying was a crime like they obviously he did take them because he returned them. So how right. is he like charged, you know? Well, that's something crime. I'm unclear on. I mean, I don't know that this is the first time in American history that a president's taken documents right. out of the White House. I doubt that that's super uncommon. Right. Um, you know, I don't, again, I don't know though. So he- Because it might have been something he took while he was still in presidency that maybe he was looking through. He just didn't return them till after- 
Right. And I didn't read. I mean, there's been other famous stories in the past of presidents having, you know, documents sort of expunged or taken illegally and stuff like that. I think famously Bill Clinton during his presidency, I think there was a guy named Ken Starr, if the name serves me right. I believe the story with him was he went into like wherever President Clinton's office or whatever and was like stuffing documents down his pants. You know, like oh, weird wow. stuff like that. That's obviously an extreme of this. Yeah. So I don't know how uncommon this is for President Trump to do. Um, hmm. But those boxes being returned late, whether they were allowed to be taken or not, sort of led the Department of Justice and the FBI to assume, again, that he had more. Um, I don't know why they'd assume that. Well, I mean, I guess that... Is there something I didn't read? <laughs> no, I mean, that's the last six years, seven years since Donald Trump decided huh. to be a president would lead you to um, know why they, whether he had them or not, they were probably going to attack him at some level because um, they hate him, right? So one of the things that they do make mention of in this article here, um, let me see. Yeah, it says right here, says the raid does not confirm that Trump has committed a crime. It does, however, signal that investigators convinced a federal judge they had sufficient probable cause that a crime had been committed and that raiding Mar-a-Lago was necessary to retrieve evidence. And, you know, I read this and to me, this makes this story in particular, but really the whole story, you know, more broadly sound like the FBI and the Justice Department were sort of working with this kind of substantial evidence, you know, that was compelling enough for a judge to sign off on because in order to get a search warrant, right, a judge is going to have to sign off on that. So that's what they're saying. They mm -hmm. had sufficient evidence for probable cause, and a judge agreed with them. Um, I just have a hard time buying that, right? Um, especially when it comes to Donald Trump, because if we remember, right, keep in mind, that they got a FISA judge to sign off on wiretapping <laughs> like the first time ever. Um, members of Trump's election team and other members of uh, Trump's presidential staff. And they got that based on a completely fabricated, you know, Russian collusion hoax, you know, that was a dossier put together by an opposition party, mm. right? So don't be convinced that just because a judge signed off on something, that that means, you know, that there's right. They must have this overwhelming evidence, especially in Trump's case. What they said. Yeah, they're what, probably what like the evidence. We want to raid Trump's house. And the judge was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I hate the man. Right. Maybe I'm maybe I'm, you know, being a little facetious. I mean, but, it could be that. Honestly, that wouldn't be surprising. Well, and the reason why I hesitate to believe this, I mean, obviously, I don't trust anything the media says, especially when it comes to this godless political party that we're dealing with. I also don't think like Trump isn't capable of committing a crime. I mean, he's, we don't hold him in that high esteem. Like, I'm not just gonna. No, and he certainly could be guilty. But I just think you have to look at the history of Trump and this opposition party. The history is they'll do anything. Yes. To, yeah. you know, thwart Donald Trump. You know, again, the Russian collusion hoax that was completely made up and it was drug out for four years. Right. Mm -hmm. The impeachments, the I mean, everything that they've thrown at him over the last. And they're not done. You have to wonder, is this just another made up story or not story, but 
Yeah, I mean, the evidence again. Who knows? But you you're kind of taking them at their word. Yeah. But to me, just because they say, "Well, a judge signed off on a warrant," that's not enough. Yeah. To be like, "Oh, well, there you go. It just it must be above board." Nah, not when it comes to these these people and Donald Trump. Uh, I I trust nothing. So, um, the search, though, as mentioned, was conducted by the FBI, but it was with Department of Justice oversight. And they do say in some of the articles that the White House had no knowledge of this. But again, we can just assume this is not true. Um, because really, you know, and sadly, so many of these people have been proven liars over time. So it'd just be foolish mm-hmm. in that simple fact to take their word for it. But then again, the Department of Justice works for the White House. Um, the White House is as invested in Donald Trump not becoming president again as anybody. So it would be foolish to think that they were unaware of what was happening. Uh, it just, right. it doesn't really stand up to reason. Now they may have not, you know, given the order for the attorney general to, you know, whatever, start this process. But the idea that they didn't have discussions and maybe say, yeah, we should look into it is just unlikely. Could be true. I doubt it. Um, but I think all of this and why this story, because we weren't going to talk about this, you know, we really, it was me just kind of pondering it for a couple of days, listening to some things, reading more articles. And I thought, man, this is kind of a, you know, it's a bigger deal, I think, than what I first realized it to be, you know, because when I first read it, I was like, that's ugly. But then the more you ponder it, you know, I just got the sense that this nation is headed for confrontation. You know, um, like we're living in a time, I mean, first time in my lifetime, you know, maybe not since the the civil rights era, you know, back in the early late fifties, maybe, um, where like half the country doesn't want to even associate with the other half of the country. Um, I heard a video this week of a woman and she was like complaining. She's like, well, you know, I went to the grocery store and I was just thinking like the bagger might have voted for Trump and I don't even want him bagging my groceries. And like, I went to the bank and the teller, like he might've voted for Trump and basically like saying, if you voted for Trump, I don't want anything to do with you. And she's not alone. Cause I'm assuming the other side would say, yeah, if you voted for Hillary or Biden, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want you in my church. I don't want you in my office. Like we are at a place now where the sides, the opposite sides don't even want to like co-mingle anymore. Um, and that's really sad. It's just like, that's your truth you live by. Like that's your, your God, whatever party you're for. I mean, it is in a sense, right? If you've made politicians in the political process, your idol, that's who you worship at. If you're a Democrat, you worship at the altar of the Democrat Party. It's become a religion. And for the Republican side, I mean, the whole Christian conservative thing is probably far more conservative Christian because for many of them, they, you know, the flag is the cross, right? The Republican Party stands for Jesus. And you're like, "Eh, not so fast. (laughs) Like, it's very far from that. But when your politics become an idol for you, then yeah, I mean, just like us, we would fight and die for Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. and a, but we a love Muslim, our enemies. That's the difference. Like, 
Well, because we our God wanna... tells us to. But when your yeah. God is a politician, they tell you to hate your enemy, right. <laughs> to fight with everything you have against your enemy. Well, then you're going to hate and fight with everything you have They're against your think enemy. They don't even deserve to live. Like you wish they didn't even exist is what this lady is saying. Yeah. I mean, she at least doesn't want them to exist in her country. Um, but I think we're coming to a place where, you know, just living peaceably together um, is getting increasingly hard to do. And why I think this is important and why it really hit home with me this week, and we've talked about this a bunch on this show, is I believe it's purposeful. You know, I believe that this raid on Trump's home is sort of part of this effort to just push this nation into a frenzy. You know, I believe sort of the same thing about the January 6th events, you know, whatever you want to call it. I believe it was purposeful to drive this half of a nation into a frenzied state. You know, I think the, you know, satanic side of the house here, they're hoping for violence. Yeah. You know, I think that's uh, part of their plan there. Uh, this Yahoo News article that we have here says uh, the headline is Merrick Garland, DOJ asked judge to unseal Mar-a-Lago search warrant. And uh, let me see, there was a part down here. Yeah. Do you want to read, honey, these two paragraphs? All right, says, nevertheless, Trump's outrage quickly reverberated across the right as Republican lawmakers and conservative commentators jumped to the former president's defense, echoing his claims of persecution and calling for the FBI to be dismantled. It didn't take long for some of the rhetoric around the Mar-a-Lago raid to turn violent. Within hours of Trump's statement announcing the raid, social media users from Twitter, to more fringe platforms like Gab and Telegram were issuing calls for civil war and vowing to take up arms. Yeah, that's not good. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, so that's wow. kind of what we're talking about, right? We're being pushed into a frenzied state. And like a civil war over... You just compare it to what, what was the civil war about? Like, this doesn't compare. <laughs> No, but again, it's that idea of like, we refuse to share a country with these people, right? In the South, we're refusing to share a country with people that want to take our right, you know, to slavery and uh, to be a separate, you know, Confederate states. We refuse to share country with these people. Now, here we are refusing to share a country if you don't believe a woman has a right to kill her own baby. Refuse to share That's a country ridiculous. with you. Um, <sighs> but, you know, this godless media, these godless politicians, they've spent years lying, stirring up dissent, you know, in this country, really doing what they can to pit neighbor against neighbor, sort of disparaging, you know, anyone, everyone that they disagree with, really to this point where they feel they have to lash out. Mm -hmm. um, and again, this is just my own personal beliefs, just off of my lived experience and what I witness and read about. That's what I believe January 6th was about, you know, half the country sort of watching the man that they believed in, that they supported really, you know, be lied about, have his presidency hindered in so many ways. And then by the time the election came about, 
with the mindset really that if this doesn't look a hundred percent above board, um, then it's probably not authentic. So it didn't look above board. The man that they support and believed in that they watched be lied about and drugged through the mud loses. And it's a breaking point for them. Right. And I think that's what led them to Washington. Um, just kind of saying enough is enough. And this really just seems like the same thing to me. Um, and you know, what was more shameful, if you remember the January 6th, if you were paying attention to it, like those same politicians that were running scared, oh my gosh, this is so, the insurrection, they were so shook into their core, like the very next day, they were getting on the news and doing the exact same thing that drove people to the Capitol. You know, they were calling them racist and the protesters were racist and it was racially motivated, just stoking more hatred, fanning the flames a little bit more. So now, you know, trying to tie everything to Donald Trump, right? He's getting drug into the January 6th stuff. It's all about Trump is this ringleader. So they're trying to sabotage the man that they believed in and support it again. And it doesn't really appear so. I mean, I don't even know what the latest is on the January 6th committee, if they're still wasting our taxpayer dollars on that. And I don't have any idea. Um, I don't know that anybody's actually paying attention to that anymore. Um, hmm. But to me, Again, this is all just um, more that this is kind of being designed to bring the country to this breaking point um, because I think they want more uh, war. I think that's generally their goal. And if you ask probably the individuals, the politician, the media, they'd probably say no, but they're Satan's children. Mm-hmm. And Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And the only thing really better than bloodshed for him is probably brother killing brother, right? Mm-hmm. Neighbor killing neighbor. Um, and I don't think Satan necessarily cares about a political end game. I think he cares right, about yeah. death and chaos, you know, light the world on fire and then just step back and watch it burn. I agree. So yeah. I don't think Satan is behind some great globalist Marxist utopia. He's behind death and chaos. And I think that's what maybe even unbeknownst to his children, you know, they're just mm-hmm. pawns in this game, which is probably why it's hard to nail down like how does academic uh institutions the media class the political class and all these things sort of work together in tandem so seamlessly i don't know that they're all necessarily talking on the phone about this but it's the same spirit of the age that's leading them all down this road and they're just willing participants in it um and i think it's dangerous so uh, this other story, and again, this is just more kind of walking through the last week, you know, some of the stuff that's come about and um, what made us, you know, think that this nation's, you know, just more evidence, I suppose, that it's heading for a bad spot here. And uh, we got this story from the Daily Wire. You want to read that headline? Ben Carson compares FBI raid to communist tyrants. This is the way of... Is it Mao? Mao and Castro. Oh, okay. Mao and Castro. Yeah. And then he says down here in this tweet, um, do you want to just read that tweet? Never in my lifetime did I think I would see an American law enforcement agency be run and weaponized like the FBI this evening, Carson tweeted. This is frightening development in our modern political arena. This is the way of Mao and Castro, not Washington and Lincoln. Yeah. And, you know, you might say, ah, he's being hyperbolic, you know, 
But this is the way 30, 40% of the country feels. Um, and I think it's true. I think this makes sense. You know, there's a senator uh, from Utah whose name is Mike Lee. And I remember after the 2016 election, I think it was the 2016 election, and people were asking, you know, is he going to go after Hillary? Why doesn't he go after Hillary and, you know, lock her up and go lock Obama up and all these sorts of things. And Mike Lee spoke about it and he said that there's a reason why America doesn't go after and a reason why Donald Trump would be wise to not go after Hillary or Barack mm -hmm. Obama. And he said, you know, America specifically doesn't prosecute political leaders um, or, you know, specifically opposition leaders. Um, for the very purpose of not becoming some banana republic, because this is the behavior of a third world nation, you know, mm -hmm. like a yeah. Central African warlord run country. You take power from the opposition and then you either kill them all or you throw them all in prison. Like that's the way they're run. And that's why it's just war after war after war after war. Um, America specifically and uniquely has peaceful transitions of power. And I agree with Mike Lee. So even when it comes to something like Hillary and the server and all the classified emails and all this, you know, probably has maybe even a better reason to go after her than Donald Trump, right? But that sets a really bad precedent there. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Ben Carson is right to see that because I do, I mean, I don't know of a time in American history where we've done something like this to go raid. And you might say, well, they did all this, you know, investigation into Hillary. First off, she was never president. She ran for president. She was never president. Um, I'm sure white or uh, Watergate, is that what it was with Nixon? Mm -hmm. You know, but they had a lot of evidence for that and he was impeached and stuff like that. But this to me at least seems unheard of. And, you know, you could just tie this again back to everything they've done to Donald Trump over the last seven years. This is just more heaped on top of sort of unprecedented um, levels of sort of vitriol aimed at the man. Um, yeah, it just seems like, I don't know, me, like it is just in, to muddy his name. I mean, it could be. I think we should consider that. No, I mean, I certainly not even consider it. I believe it. Um, I believe, and not that one man is that important, but I do think Donald Trump, I mean, you know, we talked about the Kansas abortion law just the other week. And, you know, for all the God-fearing Christian men and women in this country that couldn't get off their butts to go vote for uh, saving babies' lives, Donald Trump, he essentially, through his Supreme Court nominations, defeated that monstrosity, that satanic law that's been on the books forever, that all the Christian conservatives that have run before him, they swore they were going to take on Rovers, but it took Trump, right? It took Trump to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Mm. I mean, something that politicians said, oh, I'm going to fight to, they never did it, right? Because they're liars and they're cowards. So I think they are so truthfully he afraid of him. He what he says. Yeah, well, and this Maybe is something that they've, but... you know, I heard the saying long time ago about Trump that the people who support him 
take him seriously, but not literally. Mm. And the people that hate him take him literally and not seriously. You know, because he says a lot of stupid things. He tweets a lot of stupid things. So they take him literally and they're like, ah, moron, he's a bad guy. What is... But the stuff he does, the people who like him take serious. And mm-hmm. they just kind of ignore what he says, right? He's just bloviating kind of a thing. Um, so I do think that they're afraid of him in yeah. a sense that he does the things that he says he's going to do. And we don't have a lot of politicians like that, at least on the conservative side of the house. Um, yeah. And then again, he, he ended child sacrifice, at least on a national level. Right. Um, That's huge. You know, he poked yeah. Moloch in the eye and uh, they don't, they don't like that on that <laughs> side of the aisle. So, but I think what's also really dangerous about this about, as Ben Carson says, weaponizing the FBI. And this is always, I feel like what you have to consider is that what happens um, when the next person to be elected is maybe not of your political mindset. And he's not a, go- or not a godly man, right? Do you think that he's going to take the presidential office and then just let this slide? Like, what if Donald Trump gets elected in 2024 again? Do you think he's the kind of man who's just going to let this be water under the bridge? Oh, remember that time you guys raided my house? Oh, well, let's go play golf. Like, of course, he's going to be vindictive. Of course, he's going to utilize every government agency to come after you. I think they're like muddying his name because they know he has a good chance of winning. That just they're threatened by him. Well, I do think that's the larger play. You're on the political side of the house is they want to essentially stop him from being able to run. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that works or not, you know, he's in court now currently, I think. For maybe it's the January 6th stuff. I don't or it's something to do with New York. I don't remember what. But yeah, they're attacking him from all angles. I do think they want to stop him from running ultimately, which did something because you had mentioned the Secret Service earlier. And I saw a headline. And I guess it would be true. I don't know. That has never happened before. But they said if Donald Trump were arrested and sent to prison, the Secret Service would have to guard him in, pre- in prison because he's a former president still. Hmm. He would have. I don't know if that's true. Hmm. I don't know if that's ever been ironed out on paper, but that'd be pretty fascinating to be in prison. And every time you go to the, the cafeteria, you got two Secret Service agents walking around. Um, I don't wow. know. I mean, because former presidents, they retain Secret Service details for the rest of their life. So George Bush still has them. Bill Clinton still has them. Barack Obama still has them. They're, you know, they get that security detail forever. So that would be, it might even be good news just to figure out how that works out. So um, hmm. that'd be pretty interesting. But, um, he does go on um, Ben Carson in this uh, in this story here, and he says down here, uh, "Yeah, pray for our country this evening. It can and will be saved because we are the because we the people are waking up." He warned, and then it says, "I hope he's right." Uh, or no, yeah, he warned. Um, But, you know, as we talked about last week, um, saving may not be the proper term. Um, 
you know, we yeah. we're thinking about it more as building, uh, building a nation that's worth saving, you know, it's or worth having, I suppose, because the idea of saving it is we're we're pretty far gone yeah. um, right now. And, you know, it's going to be hard to think about restoring anything, especially when you talk about six percent of the country has a biblical worldview and we're building. Yeah. But there's something. even. You know, the scripture, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. It's like, you don't have to necessarily have a, have someone have a biblical worldview. They can still make right choices for our nation, even though they're evil in their heart, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to have necessarily, you know, a preacher running your nation or anything like that. But they can still be, I guess, not anti-Christ in their beliefs, or they cannot be anti-American in their beliefs to help. Because, you know, and we've been reading through the 5,000-year leap. Talked to you guys about that before. Encourage you to go pick it up and read through it. It's a wonderful book about sort of the religious underpinnings of American history. Um, And that was the founder's intent was, you know, the free exercise of religion, not having the state... um, affecting or involving itself in religion but the intention was certainly to have religion um sort of guiding the moral compass of this nation Mm -hmm. guiding the moral compass of our leaders that was absolutely the intention of our founders Um, so we can still get to that place where you have someone who is maybe maybe not atheistic i guess um or maybe i guess at that level but or more just a lukewarm christian if you will, but you have the moral leaders that are sort of guiding the nation that, you know, cause I think they always say politics is downstream from culture. So if you have a religious sort of uh, moral Christian culture driving your politics, then that's how you sort of build this nation up into something that's, you know, I guess not any longer under God's judgment, which would be nice. Um, but you know, ultimately I think we're going to have to wait to see how this all sort of plays out. You know, there's going to be a lot of stories that come out probably, and it's going to take some time to get all the details. I did see something just recently that they, at least a headline said that they did find some classified documents, what those are, what level of classification, who knows, you know, it may have been classified, but he was allowed to have them, you know, who knows? Um, right. I just want to say like, like we don't view like Trump as our savior. He's not going to fix all our problems, but he's definitely not going to implement more <laughs> wickedness and all this confusion. Just this crazy past two years or so it's been just with people can't define what a woman is and the things that are being taught in schools. Like he's not going to push for that. It's like, he's just, he's not someone who's going to, a hundred percent turn things around. That's all I'm saying. No, I just think he's not going to further that, and he will. Well, and you could probably turn make it around, but him not being in office and some other wicked person being president again, and just it's just going to get worse and worse. Well, you but, could probably make the good case that this is why they're so rabid about getting all of this stuff passed and done now. 
yeah. is the fear that maybe he does get elected or someone different, maybe like, you know, Ron DeSantis, if he runs somebody to that level where someone that's going to thwart their plans for whatever satanic desires they like have. They have more plans. So that, and I don't want to even know what they are, what they have planned. Like, you just can't imagine. Yeah, it'll be Pfizer giving you those just, uh, those electric pills that can track you and tell you yeah that'll be uh I mean, you know there's more up their sleeve you just don't want more of it rolling out and right yeah so i do think that there might be you know strong evidence that's why they're so um aggressive with what they're doing yeah they are is that they know that their time could be short you know <sighs> um maybe all of our time is short hopefully and the lord's coming back that's okay with me yeah yeah i don't um, want to be here and during more but yeah so <sighs> i just think you know this is unsettling this outcome here yeah. um and again like she said it's not because of trump he doesn't really make a big difference to us on this show we're not you know trump is not an idol for us um if he runs for president again fine if he doesn't fine you know it's it's more just the tactics it's mm-hmm. um what's happening here I think it's something that's alarming, you know, and yeah. obviously we're biased personally, everybody's biased. Everyone has their own bias. So we would like to think that if this was going the other way and they were raiding Barack Obama's house, that we would feel as strongly um, about that. As I sit here today, I say, yes, I would. Um, but again, I'm human. And hopefully, you know, if I down the road, this happens and, you know, President Trump gets into office and he goes and arrests Joe Biden. And I don't say this exact same thing. Remind me and call me on it and tell me I'm being a hypocrite and I will repent for that. So, um, because again, it's not about Trump, right? But I think that where this is pushing this nation is a dangerous place. And I saw a headline um, and I forgot to pull the article up, but it was something that said, if this doesn't work, assassination is next. And again, I feel strongly that that could be the case. And you might say, oh, again, you're being hyperbolic. But you know, let's go ask JFK what happens when you upset the apple cart in Washington, D.C. think of that, you know, the Simpsons, you know, everything's like, they they, predicted everything. They predict it. And that does make me nervous because there was one where Trump was assassinated. Yeah. Um, It's crazy. Well, I forgot to pull the article up here, but I read this, um, another article on this, and this was a statement from the a former New York Police Department police, uh, police commissioner. His name was Bernard Carrick. Um, do you want to read what Bernard Carrick had to say, honey? If you remember back in 2016, right before he got elected, I was in Washington, D.C., I was at a couple of different social events, and I hear people talking. They said the Democrats want this guy so bad that they wouldn't put assassination behind it. And I'm going to tell you something. They've tried impeachment. They've tried another impeachment. They've tried one investigation after another. This is about one thing. This is about stopping him from running in 2024. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not into conspiracies. I'm not into anti-government rhetoric. This is the first time in my lifetime that I would say I am deathly afraid for Donald Trump. 
I would not put assassination behind these people. Yeah, so, um, you know, you can call him just a crackpot if you want, but an NYPD police commissioner, again, saying, you know, this is dangerous. His life is in danger if, hmm. if this keeps going down this road. And that's what we're worried about. Because again, you don't just assassinate a president and then everything just goes back to normal and the country lives peacefully after that. Oh my um, goodness. Can you imagine all the Trump supporters that now they do, they, they love him, what they would do. I again, mean, the Trump supporters what, are all like pro gun and some of them are crazy, you know, yeah. just well, it'd be dangerous. Uh, and they're already pushed to the limit here. So again, hopefully that this is a hyperbolic statement that never happens. But again, I don't think it's completely beyond the pale to say, you know, again, we've had presidents assassinated in the past. And I thought, do you know who assassinated Abraham Lincoln? I have just read it from one of the kids' books. I just read it in a wonderful book called Killing Lincoln. John Wilkes Booth. Yes, yes. I don't know. I didn't remember that. All right, you get a second Jacob chance Jacob would have here. answered it, right? <laughs> Who do they say killed John Franklin Kennedy? I don't remember. It's another three-named man. You always got to look out for the three-named men. Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm -hmm. That sounds familiar. Yep. A.K.A. CIA. Anyways, uh, who, uh, President Reagan, they tried to assassinate. I think his name was Sirhan Sirhan. Hmm. So he had four names. Anything more than two and you're running a risk. So don't name your kid. <laughs> don't call them three names. That's just, you're running a bad risk there. So, huh. um, but yeah, I mean, it's not unheard of, right? It's been a long time, but certainly not unheard of. And I think we just need to be in prayer for Donald Trump, you know, his yes. for his safety, but also just for, man, we need to get to a place where sort of cooler heads can prevail. Um, and again, assassination might be an extreme example. Um, but even, you know, if something like Trump gets thrown in prison again, or again, if Trump gets thrown in prison, like that might be enough of a tipping point. Um for a lot of people, because like you said, they love him. They are passionate about him. And whether that's right or wrong makes no difference. They are. Um, so you just kind of have to deal with the reality that we're in. Mm -hmm. um, that would be, you know, that would bring a civil war if he was thrown in prison. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think the January 6th stuff was thankfully a relatively, um, docile attempt at making their point you know with storming the capitol there were some injuries and stuff like that but nothing no one went there with you know bla guns blazing or anything to that but if that doesn't get the point across you know you are afraid that they're going to take this to the next level so we need to pray first off that this gets de-escalated mm -hmm. um and just that nothing sort of crazy or outlandish happens um, not even just from this side, but, you know, there could be some lone psycho out there that this is enough for him. And he's about to go, you know, make a stand on whoever Democrat politician. We don't want that to happen either. Do. Like if they locked up Trump or assassinated him, you know how they're going after people's guns. And they know that would cause people to be in outrage and probably would go and do something crazy. 
all the more to further their agenda. It goes along with it perfectly. I hope it doesn't happen, but that seems like they would, you know, they'd get the result they wanted from the people reacting to it. Right. Which is very important that we don't be those people. But, you know, I do think that they have a playbook, you know, they're playing a long game here. Yeah. And, you know, one side of this fight is wide awake. You know, Satan's children are wide awake. They're fully engaged in the fight. Um, and that's the problem, you know, our side of the aisle, and I'm not even speaking about Republican side because they're weasels and scoundrels themselves. I'm just talking about our side of the Christian, um, Christian citizenry really is not fully awake yet. Um, and they're not really engaged in a war, spiritual war, um, that's either here or probably increasingly in coming. Um, if it's not fully here yet. And this was really crystallized to me, you know, again, I was telling you, I was listening to Jason Whitlock and, um, he had a podcast with a political candidate that I really like, and I don't, um, endorse a lot of political candidates. I would never endorse one here on this show. I would never tell you to go and vote for one because most likely they're all scoundrels. Um, but one that I do like, um, is Royce white and, um, I like him because he really seems to grasp the time that we're in, the fight that we're in. Um, He seems to get it, but he just lost his um, bid for the Republican nomination um, in the Congress. And what really stood out to me is he said, um, of all the people that went and voted in the Republican primary, there was like 10,000 people that went to vote in it in a district that I believe he claimed had over 100,000 registered Republicans. So he said 10,000 voted up or showed up to vote when there's well over 100,000. And he said that the problem on our side, Hmm. um, and I agree with him, I think he said it perfectly. He said, um, and again, I'm not even going to mention just the Republicans here, but just us, the Christian God-fearing people that want to see this nation walk in a more morally upright way. Um, He said that the problem on our side is that we lack urgency. Mm -hmm. Like we just don't get the time that we're in, you know, Oh, you know, there's the satanic people are running amok trying to kill every baby they can find and, you know, give gender affirming care to your teenagers. And we're just like, well, 2024, I'll show up to vote for Ron DeSantis. Like, that's you don't, their plan. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching Hannity tonight, you know, whoa, going to solve the world. You're not awake. And the other side is fully awake, fully engaged. Like we said, Kansas, they have an abortion bill come up. Our side rolls out 125,000 less people to go vote for life. They have more people show up than are registered in the state to vote. They're awake and they're engaged and we're just not. And that's dangerous. Um, so again, you we can pray all you want, but faith without works is dead. <laughs> yeah. Faith without works is dead. Um, so yeah, I mean, it could just be, we don't understand the time it is. I would say it's probably much more. We don't have the backbone or the spirit to do anything about it. Uh, we've been brainwashed into this walk in love you know, do nothing, say nothing Christianity. And we're too afraid to get up and ruffle any feathers and 
get in anybody's face and stand for what we believe in, um, which is bizarre because that is not the Lord that we serve. He specifically went to the temples where he knew he would get the most pushback mm-hmm. and preached his message. He specifically never capitulated on a point. He just told the truth and stood for it and went to actively seek it and make it known. And for us, we're just not willing to do that. So, um, yeah, I just think that there's so many on our side, you know, again, that we would consider on our side. And I hate to say it, but I believe that far more of them, they may not say it outright, but in their heart of hearts, they'd much rather just cry out from their prayer closet, you know, that God would save their kid or their friend that's living a sinful lifestyle than to actually go and do something to prevent them from walking into that sinful lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to do anything to stop somebody, but just cry out to the Lord to go and do something that they themselves are too afraid to do. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, Lord, help my son, you know, leave a, a homosexual lifestyle. And then the kid shows up with their boyfriend. And they're like, there's your bedroom up there. I'll see you guys in the morning with pancakes. And then they're downstairs like, Lord, please work a miracle. Instead of being like, you're not doing that in my house. No, that's, yeah. that's a sin. You're not doing that in my house. Or, you know, we are very big advocates for homeschooling your kids. Get them out of school. Save them before they walk down this sinful path, this propagandized, it's definitely you know, a sacrifice. humanist lifestyle that is being pushed in every public school around the country. Well, we have this culture now that's anti-children, even in Christian circles, everybody. Kids are an inconvenience, even to Christian families. It's just a joke, you know? They joke about it. Oh, I can't wait. I love when my kids are away at school. I need a break. That repetition going on in people's minds, like Christians say that all the time. And it does make me sad. I'm like, do you really just not like your kids? Like, <laughs> like you do, but it has been, um, I think we've been brainwashed in our culture. It's that victim mentality. I'm, you know, I work all day. I'm tired and mommy needs a break. Mommy needs a drink. It's just, I'm really tired of that. I'm tired of hearing people say that, oh, I could never do that. And they're sarcastic about it. They joke like I could never homeschool my kids. I'm like, I never could either without the grace of God. So don't reject the grace of God. Quit saying all that nonsense. Yeah, I mean, and that's just one area that we, you know, could start this fight. Um, But I mean, that's just one of 100 areas that we just give up before it even, you know, before the fight even gets engaged. And um, just one of the, the points that stood out to me, you know, we, I think, misuse a lot of the times. And actually, this is going to be our sermon recommendation. Um, it's just a short little snippet from John MacArthur sort of talking about Romans 13 and how that gets twisted. Um, but we hear a lot about like, well, you know, you got to submit to your authorities, right? God's placed them over you, you got to submit to them. And mm-hmm. that gets used a lot. And I think misused and you know, we've been going through the book of Acts here in our little home Bible study. And, you know, Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen. He used it to advance the gospel, but he used his rights. You know, Acts 16, verse 37 through 38, Paul says, or as Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly 
uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And it says the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. And then later in Acts 25, verse 11 through 12, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. So Paul has rights as a Roman citizen. He uses these rights. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he didn't have a constitution, amendments, bills of, bill of rights, and all this. Um, we do. It's like we're too afraid, though. Or maybe I think even worse, we've been convinced by godless men and women that our constitutional rights are actually sinful. So we're either too afraid to even use them because somehow that's not submitting to authority because they don't want to adhere to the constitution. Or we've been convinced that our rights are actually sinful. Right. Even Christians say that. Yeah. They're like, oh, you just want your freedom. And they're like, well, if everything's going so well because because of our constitution and we have all these blessings in America, like they want to welcome persecution. That's what they want. They're like, no, don't fight for freedom. We need persecution for the gospel to thrive. Which is crazy because we literally pray and send money all around the world every day of the week for people in persecuted lands to have their persecution spared and ended, have their spirits strengthened And then we're just like, but bring it on here, right? You know, uh, I heard a stat this week that America contributes 80% of all global missions funds around the world. 80%. You want that to stop? God doesn't need America. He can certainly do what he wants. Right. But he has chosen to use America to fund missions around the world. If we become a persecuted nation, (laughs) that money dries up. And it's going to have to either be found somewhere else or we're going to go into a pretty dark time in world history. But um, yeah, like we don't want to use our rights to defend our rights or to advance the gospel. Um, You know, it's like, well, you know, you love your kids, love your family. You'd give your guns away and we'll just make sure the Uvalde Police Department protects your home. Like you want the Uvalde Police Department protecting your home? They'll come after the, the burglars killed your entire family, and then they'll clean up the mess. Um, it's crazy. And, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode. Uh, it was done a while ago. I think we called it uh, Render Unto Caesar. You can see it right here. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Um, render unto, Under Caesar. Render Unto Caesar. Um, you know, and this obviously comes from... Mark chapter 12, verse 17 is the place to find it. It says, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And again, this I think is just a twisting or a misrepresentation or a misunderstanding for us. The way I think of this is that in this nation, our constitution and our laws are Caesar. Um, Joe Biden is not Caesar. Donald Trump is not Caesar. Your governor isn't Caesar. They're all supposedly subject to Caesar just the same as we are. Mm -hmm. So our rights in the Constitution, when we stand up for those, when we adhere to those, when we 
fight to enforce those and make sure that they stand. That's us rendering under Caesar. We're still doing what we're called to do. Now we do it lovingly, peacefully, you know, all these sorts of things that a Christian is still supposed to do. But it doesn't mean that you just, well, the, you know, the governor said I got to shut my church down. I guess I better listen because Romans 13. No, man, you have the free exercise of religion. That's written right in. That's what Caesar told you. Yeah. So do it. Stand up for it. Don't just bend over backwards because some elected official who's also subject to the Constitution told you to do something against the Constitution. Yeah. Not to mention against your faith. And you're like, well, I guess we better listen to him. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Use your rights like Paul did. There's a start. There you go. Um, Good point. I've never heard anybody talk about those verses that Paul used his rights as a citizen to further the gospel. Right. Like you could, again, just wildly speculating here and Lord, forgive me if I'm off base, but you know, if Paul had other, and again, if you're in Rome, you probably don't have a lot of rights outside of what Caesar dictates, you know, but if you had the right to freedom of speech and you're standing in a synagogue and people are shouting at you to get out, shut up. Like, Hey man, I have the right to stand here and preach. Mm -hmm. I can say what I want to say. You can't stop me. Right. But we have those rights here. And instead we're just like, eh, give them away. Who cares? Shut the church down. You know, let everyone, I don't know, go to hell because they don't get to hear the gospel message because the missions money's dried up because we're all personally <laughs> like, we don't have to go down that. We may ultimately end up there. And People if they are do. like counting on persecution. Like they want persecution to come because they think it'll them, advance the gospel, but it's like, are you even preaching the gospel now? If you're not preaching the gospel to people now, you sure aren't going to be doing it if there's persecution. No. It's a ridiculous argument. Anybody that thinks that somehow their faith is going to come alive in persecution is fooling themselves. Um, If your faith is not bold now, you think it's going to be bold when someone puts a gun up to your temple? Unlikely. Um, (laughs) Pretty unlikely. So now is a good time to start training. Because persecution is coming. Um, We know we've read the end of the book. It's coming. And now is a good time to start sort of practicing standing up for your faith and being bold in your faith. Uh, Because it's not going to be easier once it gets harder. So um, I got this quote from R.C. Sproul here, and I really liked it. I thought it fit well with what we're talking about today, which is obviously why I put it in this podcast. Um, But R.C. Sproul said, when the state rebels against God, or when the state rebels against its God-ordained responsibility, the church not only may, but it must speak out against it. And I believe in this, you know, and again, we've talked about the founders, I believe, believed in this. Again, go read the 5,000-year leap. Um, and I think this is why the godless left is so adamant in this country about changing that definition and the whole intention of the separation of church and state. We quite literally just read that Mm -hmm. in the 5,000 year leap today, Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist church and what his intention was. It was not anywhere near not having the church involved in state matters. It was a hundred percent about not having the state involved in church matters. Yep. Um, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, John Adams, you can name them. All of them 
had the intention that the church would be the moral compass driving this nation. And their intention was to have this really just a federal government. The book makes it quite clear in the letter makes it quite clear. Thomas Jefferson's intent was the federal government to be removed. So this doesn't even have to do with your states. You know, you live in a God fearing state like Florida, your government can be involved. There's nothing in the Constitution that says they can't. That's a 10th Amendment issue. You don't like your state being involved in religious matters? Move to California. Um, they left God long ago out in the uh, California, whatever they call that, the Golden State. What do they call it? Sunshine State? That's Florida. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We babe. call it a hellscape. So, <laughs> um, but I think that's why they're so bent on changing that definition, right? Their idea is to sort of shut up the church and allow the state to just act in any sort of godless or satanic way that it wants to. Um, and, you know, you let this play out for a few years and the majority of people will forget what God even says on any given matter. And then they'll just accept the antichrist or, you know, Christless basis for any given issue. And we've seen this taking place in our country. Um, you know, you don't let the church allow or you don't allow the church to speak on marriage. And you let the godless left sort of convince your children that love is love, right? It's all the same at this point. God has nothing to say on it anymore. Jesus never said homosexual. You don't let the church speak on abortion. The godless left, you know, convinces us that the only life that matters is the mother that was inconvenienced by the pregnancy. You know, drug use, drunkenness, gluttony. I mean, you could go down the list of issues that the church doesn't speak on anymore. And we just allow the culture to fully, you know, being drunk is cool, man. Go and get drunk and have a good time. Yeah. Don't let the church tell you that you shouldn't give in to drunkenness because that's a sin. Because if your church does say that, you're going to probably get up and walk out and go to a different church because how dare they judge you? Um, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. So it is. It's sad that what you're saying is exactly true, though. Of course it is. That's why. I mean. I'm just kidding. No, I think it's like you're, it's true. And we just need to open our eyes to it. And, you know, there is a point, you know, to sit around and wring in your hands. And obviously there's a point to crying out to God. and um, Yeah, but cry out to God and say, God, show me what I can do to help. Yeah. Like, you ask God for wisdom. I mean, we are his hands and feet. So he's given us responsibility. Like, are you being a good steward of what you've been given? And I know I brought that up before. Like, you've been placed in this, in this nation with rights. What are you doing with those gifts? With, what are you doing with what God gave you? Oh, we're buying are new you, stuff, going on vacations. Like, you have no idea how blessed you are to be in a country where your voice matters. Like, No, and I do think that, you know... We as believers, you know, we don't just need to roll over and just let Satan devour us, let him devour our children. And it's funny that, you know, you had mentioned that because I was actually just having this discussion, I think maybe even on Monday going up to the jail uh, with uh, the guy I do the Bible study with. And we were kind of talking about how, you know, it may even ultimately, you know, be easier to be a Christian in North Korea or China uh, because you really have no history and like no citizenship that you care about 
that you want to fight for. The only citizenship you have is the Lord. Mm -hmm. All you care about is your Christian citizenship. Um, You know, it's only your brothers and sisters in the faith that you're really standing and fighting for. Yeah, you don't have like a hope of anything getting better like we do here. Yeah, you know, we all, you know, maybe that's a disadvantage and... But I, I don't think that it's right for us to go, no, we should feel that same way and just flush this country down the drain. Um, because we do have a history in this nation of God-fearing men and women that have you know, really benefited the rest of the world. Um, we fought and defended and freed God's people um, in Israel, right? Like, we've done that. We've been that benefit. So we almost have a greater, I guess, I don't know if his burden is the right word, but that we do have a nation that I feel is worth preserving and yes. ideals that are worth preserving. Where if you're in North Korea, you're like, <laughs> I don't care what happens to this country. Like, just yeah. bring me home, Lord. We but here it's different. Freedoms just for us. Like you said, like our country has done a lot of good for other countries. Yeah. It I mean, isn't we've all done a lot about of good. us. Right. No. So. You know, I just think for us Christians, you know, I would implore us, you know, first and foremost, as we always do, be aware of the news media, um, you know, politicians and stuff. They're propagandists. They're liars. The truth is not in them. Um, and again, I'm not saying we're not saying here Trump very well could be guilty. We're not taking Trump's side here. Um, we're just alarmed at all of this happening. It's very alarming. And I think it's unsettling and it's worth mm-hmm. paying attention to. Um, and I think it's worth getting involved in to try to be a voice of reason in a, um, in a crazy time. Um, yeah. But I just think, you know, at least in this case, we do need to give it time to play out, see what, you know, it all comes out, but you know, you got to do your own research. Don't just sit down and listen to CNN or Fox news and take their talking point and run with it, right? You're going to have to do your own research to kind of figure out what's truly happening. Um, But then Mm -hmm. pray, 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 pray. We need to pray um, because I do think our nation is close to the edge. Um, And I do think if this works out poorly, we might be pushed over the edge. And that's what I'm fearful of. Um, Because, you know, the Civil War, (laughs) that was the most deadly war in American history. and just most shameful war in American history. I mean, what we fought for was, um, was right. Freeing the slaves was right. Keeping this nation together was right. But the idea of killing your own countrymen and your own neighbors over that is shameful beyond belief. So we don't want to get there. Um, so I'm just, I'm not suggesting that we do anything other than, and maybe just start <laughs> living lives um, and advocating for godly principles, mm-hmm. um, I think, is what we need to start doing. You know, if you're going to be praying, pray for boldness, pray for action, mm-hmm. you know, pray for something to get involved in, in the state that you live in, the county, the the country that you live I think in. Because this took like 100 years in the works, you know, like they've been long term with their plans. It's going to take years to backtrack, like it's going to take the next generation. Like what Spencer said, you need to get your kids out of school. You need to be homeschooling them because they're not just being influenced by what they're trying to teach them. It's the kids that are influenced already through social media that are influencing your kids. That's 
and even if you're homeschooling, that doesn't mean they're not going to be influenced by other kids. You need to also talk with your kids um, just about the brainwashing that is going on. Teach them um, to discern, to, to communicate with you, to ask questions, because they're going to hear crazy stuff just from being friends with the next door neighbor, for instance. Or So it's not just about homeschooling, but that is the, the most important thing. Um, you have to unschool them. <laughs> yeah. Um, homeschool and be active in your church, go to church, read your Bible. Yes. That's good. But yeah, I do think yeah. we need to find ways to get involved and be active. You know, I was thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. Or you could really just say Martin Luther, both Martin Luther's yeah. work fine here, but you know, Martin Luther King Jr. Obviously in this nation, a godly man, but he was active and he was active in a righteous way, right? Nonviolent, but in your face, you couldn't avoid him, right? They made themselves known. They made their purpose known. They stayed um, as moral as they could be. And not that Martin Luther King Jr. was a perfect man, certainly had his flaws. But that I think is the model that all of us should be taking. You know, I'm thinking of like the, uh, can't think of the name, but you know, going to the, the restaurants and stuff and just sitting there peace of, peacefully trying to order their food when they're being dogs biting at them, being beaten and punched. And they're just there in your face. Mm. You can't avoid it. And it stunk for those guys. It was awful. But the pictures that were, that came out from that, what people saw and how evil the other side of the aisle looked when you saw these peaceful men and women just fighting for what they, you know, they were, uh, they were fighting for what they belonged to, right? That they were human beings. Mm -hmm. All of us are equal, you know, according to the, the declaration, right? is written in there. All men are created equal. They're just fighting for their equal rights. Mm -hmm. And you see the pictures. And even now you look at it and you think, my God, how could we have been so blind <laughs> to think that we could treat people this I way? Know. But think what it took for them to get that point across. Like we need to have that mindset of, you know, like Nikki said, it's going to take a generation. Well, that's going to start with us, right? Martin Luther King didn't really get to enjoy the full freedom that African-Americans, you know, it seems to be taken away from them again. But what they enjoyed going into the 80s and 90s and early 2000s before they, you know, got drugged back into the race baiting. But he didn't get to enjoy it. He had to deal with all the suffering to earn that for them. And I think that's the, the thing that we should be sort of taking on our shoulders, this sort of vocal spiritual resistance against, you know, the satanic influences in our country. Yeah, they had a voice. They could speak for themselves, but it's like the babies that are being aborted, they don't have a voice. We have to be the voice for them. Yeah. And we got to be okay with uh, a little bit of uncomfort. And, you know, they certainly were, and it took a while, but they got their point across and America was all the better for it, you know? So I think we need to take on a little more Martin Luther King Jr. in our life, um, kind of get, get comfortable being uncomfortable, I think is a good place to get being to. Being bold so. is uncomfortable. It is for everybody. And we have to just understand, like, it's always going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. So, and maybe that's why, you know, I take to the certain preachers that I like to listen to and stuff like that. I'm far less concerned about your denominational um, preferences. I'm much more concerned with, are you active? Are you 
doing something? Like, is it more than just, you know, Joel Osteen telling you to be happy every Sunday? Are you actually involved in trying to make a change? So I think that's why I'm drawn to people like John MacArthur or, you know, the uh, uh, Steve Smotherman, you know, that we talk about from our local churches and uh, these sorts of people, because they're doing something. They're mm-hmm. righteously, but they're in their, you know, in the face of the wickedness that surrounds them. And I appreciate that. Yeah, so, me too. I mean, we can disagree on infant baptism. That doesn't make a big difference to me. You know, it's not going to change. You know, are you doing something <laughs> to advance the kingdom? So, um, yeah. with that, we'll get into our sermon recommendation here. And it's just a short recommend or a short sermon. It's actually just a snippet of a sermon. And this is something, again, I appreciate about John MacArthur. In, our pastor does this to an extent at the end of every one of our services. They, and I've never been to John MacArthur's church, but what it always looks like online is he takes like a Q&A after the service. He'll stand up there and just field questions from uh, the attendant or the, those that attended. And again, our pastor does this to a, a lesser degree. And this is what this clip is. It's somebody asking him about this Romans 13 idea of, you know, when governments are perverted by Satan. So um, you can see it right here when Satan perverts governments, you know, it's just a few minutes long, but I think it's a good discussion to have. Um, You know, again, you may disagree or not on John MacArthur's take, but I do think it's something we need to discuss probably long past time for having the discussion of i know we're supposed to submit to authorities but what about when they're completely satanic then what do we do um doesn't seem right to just yeah close your church got it boss everyone get out you know like that doesn't seem like the right people want they want persecution but it's exciting don't enjoy persecution maybe they're just excited about about it. it All right. Well, bored. <laughs> do you have any last thoughts on anything we talked about? Albert Pujols by chance. Who? <laughs> anything about what we talked about today? Uh, no, just, yeah. Pray for Donald Trump. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Just man, pray for peace, pray for, uh, hatred and anger to die down and, um, just pray. You know, if you aren't the boldest person, pray for some boldness, pray for some courage, pray for opportunities to act, you know, have God open your eyes to where you can get involved. Because again, your call may not be to to go march on Washington and get in the face of a politician, but it might be to, you know, I don't know, go and help somebody outside of a local abortion clinic. I mean, whatever happens to be be focusing on one person. Just sharing the gospel with somebody or, I mean, it's small, just small things. They add up and we got to remember that. <laughs> yeah. So we'd love to hear from you guys on this. Um, again, we'll be back on Monday with our daily devotionals and coming back next week, maybe talking about new slash old atheism. We'll see. Um, but until then, hope you guys have a blessed week. God bless.